You are listening to the new episode of In Love of the Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Hello, how are you? What's new? Happy holidays. Uh, it's December, the month of end of the year Christmas parties and those last minute jobs before the barren wasteland that is late December through February for commercial work happens. Uh, I myself have just had a really fun week of doing what I call favor gigs. So these are usual last minute calls that I get to help out folks on set, which I am absolutely happy to do because most of the time these people will come and work on my stuff uh, for me for free. So I uh, wholeheartedly believe in giving back and trading and offering trades in this service. Um, It's a really good way to get quality people to work with you. And honestly, it's a really good way for you to stay up on your own skills. And even as a director, I love to go back and work on crews because uh, there's a lot to learn and everything changes so quickly. Um, And this week I was really lucky because I actually got to put on my gaffer's hat again for the first time in years uh, and work for uh, one of Boston's biggest commercial DPs, uh, Mr. Nathan Swingle. And uh, I love it, Nathan. Nathan uh, and I have worked together on a few ads um, and it was just a lot of fun to work for Nathan. Um, and uh, I, I always love the opportunity to watch how the other guys do stuff. Um, and then to try to learn and take things from their toolkit, uh, to watch how they handle the restrictions that are thrown at them. Um, and then it's like basic stuff. As, as far as like a shooter's concerned, like how do people create their key light and how are they diffusing their key light? And what are they using for units? Um, and it's just these little techniques and tricks that when you're helping somebody do that, um, you can see the results of it, you can see what works with it. And then I learn from it. It's not, it's not like I'm gonna take what he does and apply it to what I do, but there are all these like little tricks of the trade where it's like, oh, interesting, that's how that works. If you're putting it through a frame of diffusion and it's at this angle, that looks really cool. Um, so it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun uh, to work under somebody um, and just really learn their stuff. And if you are a young uh, cinematographer, you wanna be someone that is a shooter, I highly suggest you join a grip or a lighting uh, crew team, even if it's on the PA level, because you can sit there and watch how people use the tools. I think a lot of the focus with gear and equipment tends to be uh, how does it work and what are the what are the settings and what are the menu options and like what are all the tech specs, but at the end of the day, it's a paintbrush. And it's always fascinating because each person uses a paintbrush differently. Each person ha- handles it differently. Um, so it's a really cool thing to watch someone use the same gear that I would use for something, but create completely different results. Um, so I had a lot of fun hanging out with Nathan this week. Uh, we also got to shoot with uh, these cork anamorphic lenses, which is really cool. And you can check them out uh, on our Instagram at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D. And there you'll find a curated collection of behind the scenes clips, awesome illustrations, uh, like VFX breakdowns, and then any sort of shots that I take during the recording of this podcast. Um, and it's also the best place to leave questions or comments or suggestions for the show. Speaking of Instagram, how many of you noticed how out of control the, Insta- the Instagram ads are getting? I mean, I can't go more than three posts without seeing an ad. And the algorithm stuff is just brutal. 
I mean, if you're listening to the show, I assume that your ads are similar, if not the same as mine. And the amount of people out there offering up courses on how to be a filmmaker or a photographer is nuts. I mean, some of them seem interesting, but a lot of them are just complete bullshit. And I warn you guys, be cautious of what I call the snake oil salesman. Uh, anyone who offers you tricks on how to get more clients or techniques that will get you more work are generally bullshit. I mean, if these filmmakers were so successful, then they wouldn't have time to do this. They wouldn't have time to record these giant things. I mean, there's a huge production that goes into creating things like Masterclass. Um, and they're doing it to make money. And a lot of the times with these people, they're attempting to supplement their income. And here's why. The truth is that the commercial industry right now, or the commercial support industry, which is like production companies, uh, ad agencies, uh, they're in really rough shape these days. Uh, big agencies are closing their doors, shrinking down departments from hundreds or thousands of people down to hundreds of people. And most production companies won't put directors on their roster anymore. You'll see directors listed on their site, but they're not technically on their roster. They just sort of throw them work when they can. Um, it's, it's a really interesting thing to see. And over the past 10 years of my time uh, in the uh, commercial world, in the ad world, I've just seen everything come down. Percentages come down, budgets come down. And uh, a lot of these places are closing the doors because they can't stay open in this new marketplace. And why is that? Well, in my opinion, the truth is that these big companies are really tightening up their purse strings and they're totally taking advantage of an oversaturated marketplace, pitting producer against producer in a catfight style bidding process that just heads straight to the bottom of the barrel. I mean, it sounds kind of depressing, doesn't it? Well, I always promise to be honest on this show and that's the truth. I mean, making money in our industry is really tough these days. Uh, and that's why you're seeing more and more of these quote unquote seminars and classes and master classes being taught by some really big people. And like I said before, it just seems like they need to supplement their income because they're not getting as much work. Even the big boys are not getting work. You're seeing these giant directors that are actually coming down and saying, hey, I'll totally do the budget for what I used to get as a percentage take just to get the job these days. So if you're getting into this business, prepare yourself. And I warn you, keep your overhead cost down. Like ask yourself, is it worth me going away for four years to get a diploma that isn't gonna make a lick of difference when you're sitting in the room, right? Do I really need to go out and buy all this new gear? Like if I'm gonna go out and buy an, a, a new camera, look at how you're gonna make that cash back. Like if you have a project that requires like three, four, five, six weeks of shooting, and you're gonna to have to spend that on a rental anyways, that's smart, go buy the rig, go buy the gear that you need. If you live in a town that doesn't have a good local rental house, and there's a need for a specific kind of camera that you know that you can rent out or you can team up with a rental house and sub rent out. Okay, that's a smart move. I mean, I know dudes that have bought like vintage lenses and on the rental of their vintage lenses, they've been able to pay rent. Like, it can be smart. There's smart ways to do it. I'm just warning you, don't fall into a system. Don't let someone tell you like this are, these are the steps that you need to do 
to become successful in our business because the truth is there are no steps. And half the time it's luck and you have to build the skills. So what do I suggest you do? I, I, I'm sorry, I, I know it sounds like a big bummer and it's not all a big bummer, but the reality is that you have to find new ways to do it. You have to find new ways in. And in the meantime, what do I suggest you do? Well, from my personal humble opinion, you practice. You get your hands on whatever you can shoot with, whatever you can record sound with, whatever you can use to light with, and you practice. You practice with actors, you practice with blocking, you practice with coverage. You do the hard work. There isn't an app out there that you can buy that is going to block out a scene for you, that is going to talk to your actors for you. That is really gonna come up with a good idea. I mean, there's a lot of folks forget the fact that the art of flexing your brain muscles to come up with ideas quickly is a thing. Like, what are your steps that you do to inspire yourself in the middle of the day? So what happens if you get a call at like 1.30 from a client that says, I have this really great idea, I need a treatment from you tonight. This is the product that we wanna use. What, what can you do differently? How can you make something work? For me, and I've said this before, I've got something like what I call my inspiration folder, where anything that I see that inspires me, it could be colors, it could be outfits, it could be wardrobe, it could be blocking, it could be scenes, I throw into this folder. Things that I like, I put into this folder. So when I do get that call and I hit a roadblock, I will just go through that folder, not to look for things to steal or rip off, but just to be inspired by those things. And the act of finding those inspirations to put in that folder can take hours, can take days, can take months. I mean, I've been building my folder for years. I mean, I have stuff that I liked eight years ago in this folder. That's the hard work to do. And it's all free work. This is stuff that you don't have to pay for, guys. And I say this over and over again because we are inundated with these ads. Want to be a better filmmaker? Uh, you want to know how we got, we make all these amazing commercials and we're going to give you the formula for how these amazing, how to do this so you can make the kind of money we make. And every time I watch these ads, I go, how the fuck do you have the time to make this fucking ad, to go through the process of putting these out? Because this all takes time, says the filmmaker who has his own podcast, right? Well, here's the truth from my end, guys. I'm not working all the time. Sure, I have really great stuff that I do. I put myself in for a ton of jobs. I win some jobs. I lose a lot of jobs. And not because I'm not good at what I do. It's just the state of the business right now. There are so many of us out there hungry, literally hungry, not even creatively hungry, literally hungry and starving to get this, this work. So prepare yourself. If you are getting into this industry, get ready. Understand that you're gonna be hungry. And then it's, that is sort of a defeating thing, knowing that that's the way that the business works. The really inspiring thing is, you don't need anybody to start to create your techniques. You don't need anybody to start writing. You don't need anybody to study. These things that you can do for free, and I guarantee you, you're gonna be starting to build that toolbox of tricks and techniques that you're gonna fall back on when you're on set and you're on a commercial that's like three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars and suddenly they've swapped the entire scheduling out from underneath, you cut a whole day and you have to compress your whole piece. 
and you're gonna stand there with like 14, 15 clients looking at you going, this is the reason why we hired you, you need to fix this. And where are you gonna turn? Are you gonna turn back to those dudes that were teaching you how to make the perfect ad or how to pitch the fucking perfect thing? Granted, you may grab a technique or two from them, but you're gonna fall back on that shit that you've been working on on your own. You're gonna fall back on those tricks that you learned when you were doing your own personal projects. Um, so that's a long rant for an op opening of a show, but this has really been bugging me for the past month and a half. And every time I fucking log in to Instagram and it, they're hitting me up with ad after ad after ad and the specialty gear that's gonna make shit amazing for you. And I know a lot of folks are susceptible to that shit. And over and over again, you're sitting around going, I lost this job and maybe if I had just bought this course or it's bullshit, watch out for it, seriously. So that's what today's show is all about. We're gonna go into it and really talk honestly about the industry and how it works from the inside. From me, a guy who works and gets jobs and loses jobs and attempts to make it every year through that slow season where nothing happens for like three months. Um, this week, I actually got a message on Instagram from a student at Rochester Institute of Technology uh, and she's studying to be a cinematographer and one of her assignments is to interview a professional about the industry. Now I get asked to do this quite a lot um, from young filmmakers and I figured that her questions might actually be relevant to you guys. And I figured if I'm gonna take the time to answer her stuff, I might as well convince her to come on the show to ask it. And maybe we'll get into some cool stuff. Uh, maybe she'll teach me a few things about what she's learning and uh, hopefully I can give her some you know, pretty solid advice and she can take from it what she needs. Um, so I asked her to be on the show. She agreed. And let's see how it works out, shall we? So you know the deal, guys. Throw on those noise-canceling headphones, make yourself a hot toddy, sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Taylor, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's really cool to uh, have you on. And I figured uh, since you wrote to me and asked to ask some questions, I figured that uh, the people listening might find that interesting. Or maybe they won't. Then they won't listen. <laughs> Hopefully they do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, tell me a bit about you. What's, what's your deal? Yeah, so I'm a student at Rochester Institute of Technology, um, and I'm studying cinematography and editing. Uh, I've, I'm in my third year. I'm graduating a semester early. So next December I'll be done. Um, I'm starting my senior thesis project, but, uh, kind of my workflow has been a lot of documentary style work. And mm -hmm. this past semester I actually did some radical and experimental filming. So for my senior thesis, I'm planning on doing, um, a little bit of both with some 360 and VR work mixed in. Oh, cool. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to the past uh, couple months and years with cinematography and filmmaking. Uh, now I'm curious, what is what is radical and experimental stuff? Is that the VR or is that something different? Not exactly. So I took Radical Cinema Workshop in our class. Um, and pretty much what we had to do was 
get out of like that stereotypical storytelling theme and out of like the story structure and create something that has some type of effect that's uncommon from like what you see in movie theaters. Okay. So for what I did this semester was something that's kind of like a horror, uncomfortable psychological film. Um, (laughs) And I worked with, I actually filmed half of it on my cell phone and half of it on the FS 700 and 4k So I played around with those two platforms and I worked with a colorist and an editor and we kind of created an uncomfortable short film, but I actually screened it yesterday uh, for all of our class and professors and it got some pretty good feedback though. So I'm kind of proud of that. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. How long did it take you to do the whole thing? Um, about, I want to say like 13 weeks it took. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you were deep in it. Were you doing this, uh, full-time at school or is this sort of like a part-time thing? Um, it was more of a part-time thing, but again, like half of it I shot on my cell phone. So wherever I was at, if I saw something, I kind of just shot it on site. And then the like FS 700, those we like had structured shoot days for with more of a script for it. Um, that took about probably like five weeks of filming at first. And then the rest of the time was working with my composer and then my colorist and editor for, uh, finishing it up. Oh, cool. And All right. So before you get to asking me questions, I'm going to continue to hit you with some here just <laughs> yeah. so we can get to know you. Um, how did you get into, what made you want to get into film enough to go to school for it? Like what was, what was the twisting point? For you? Yeah. I, um, I never really planned to go to school for filmmaking actually, um, until like last minute. Um, growing up, I, like filming things was just a hobby of mine. And I actually just started filming things on my computer, like on my Mac, just with the camera and bringing my laptop everywhere to shoot stuff, uh, which was weird. But I made like little short YouTube videos throughout like my middle school and high school career, just from my laptop and like editing it on just iMovie and those little things. And that was just a hobby of mine. And I knew that it was something that I could see myself pursuing, but I didn't think that it was something that I'd actually do. And then when it came time to like looking at colleges a few years ago, I was like, well, I enjoy this and I'm pretty good at it. So maybe I should pursue it. There you go. That's cool. And then have you done, have you had any experience other than that? Have you ever worked on any films on the outside? Have you ever been on any crews? You ever been involved with that sort of thing? Yeah. So the last actually freelance job that I had was for the NIH, the National uh, Institute of Health. And I did pretty much every part of that. I was like a one person crew, actually, from pre-production to post-production, um, working on sickle cell disease cases. So that was kind of like the last job I had with filming it editing it and, you know, script writing it from the start, which was more documentary work. Um, but before that, in the past years, I've worked on like student sets. So we have like a lot of fiction workshops and fiction sets that students make. Um, so those have been what I was working on throughout my college career, pretty much. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite type of movie? Oh, I, I love documentaries and docu-series. Um, but now like taking my radical workshop class, it's really like opening my eyes to what else is out there, which is pretty cool. But uh, let's see. I love chef's table. It's like mm-hmm. a mini, um, uh, cooking docu-series thing. Yep. That's, I know it. Yeah. I love the look and feel of it, honestly, because it, it's not your typical 
boring type of documentary. There's like some excitement to it and it keeps you engaged the whole time, which I know a lot of my friends don't find documentaries engaging. So it's nice to see how they make it work. Yeah, no, it definitely is very emotionally driven and technique wise. They do a lot with cinematography in that, on that show that makes it, I mean, it's, it's basically food porn. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's food porn with like a really good story uh, like a, a human story underneath it with like really great music. <laughs> yeah, so they, pretty much. Uh, it, it's fantastic. It's pretty much the peak of uh, sort of food documentary stuff. And it's the thing that everybody tries to rip off. So yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of the best to uh, be looking up to. <laughs> yeah. And like that was kind of part of my inspiration for my senior thesis. Um, I knew that I wanted to do like 360 filming and VR Um I'm in school, I'm working on like taking 360 and VR stuff to the next level and seeing how it can be more immersive and stuff. So being able to do a senior thesis with it, I thought that my storyline could be something like made in a molecular gastronomy restaurant and having like this story tell the whole process of how the food is made and how it's presented to you because it is an art form. And I don't think many people have the time and money to experience it. So I would like to be able to do that for my senior thesis. So I'm working on getting that started now in the next couple of months, though. That's cool. That's cool. And then the school provides you with any sort of tech gear that you need and all that sort of stuff? Um, pretty much for the most part. If there's other things that I don't have access to, then I'd have to figure it out on my own pretty much. But I have like the 360 cameras from school that I can use. So I'm planning on shooting um, with the Omni GoPro with the okay. fixed cameras. Mm-hmm. And then editing wise, probably just Premiere, but I'm looking at different softwares, like especially for color corrections on it, because I find that the GoPros, they're kind of like desaturated a lot. Mm-hmm. So I want to play around with that some more, especially being in like a restaurant theme. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, let me not dominate this whole conversation. <laughs> uh, what uh, What would you like to talk to me about? You got me on the line, so. All right. So I have some, I guess, stereotypical questions, but then I get into a little bit more detail. Um, But starting off, can you tell me a little bit about your educational background and how you got started in the industry? Sure. I've talked about this on the show before, but I'll recap it. Um, I started years ago. I thought I was going to be a comic book artist. Mm -hmm. And so I was studying illustration for years in high school. I used to take uh, courses at a museum school. And uh, I took like figure drawing courses, painting courses, color, uh, watercolor courses. Um, and that was really sort of teaching me how to tell a story within a frame on a two dimensional image. Right. Um, and then my high school education, uh, I was a terrible student. <laughs> uh, and so I had applied to go to one of the big art schools on the East Coast. Uh, and I won't plug them because uh, I didn't get in. <laughs> um, and then after not getting into that, it was sort of like a big moment for me. And I know it was a big moment for my parents at the time because, you know, they were convinced that if I didn't go to college that I would end up uh, being a unemployed uh, nobody with no with no life and no career. And at the time, I had a job. I was working as a manager at a music store. Okay. And uh, I loved music. I loved finding new music. I loved digging deep into uh, subcultures and subculture scenes. Uh, and I, I thought that was a really cool thing. 
And through the process of working at that music store, I met a lot of like reps. So like A&R reps, dudes that work at music labels and stuff, they'd come in with basically freebie stuff to get you to listen to their music. Um, and I, I really dug it. And I thought that it might be cool to be a radio DJ. Mm-hmm. And so I went for short stints. I went to a community college for radio broadcast. And uh, I've told the story before, but my first show that I had was super late night on on the radio. It was probably like 1.30 in the morning. And uh, I remember my programming manager coming up to me saying, okay, so every 15 minutes you're allowed to play, at the top of the hour you're allowed to play CDs with the green sticker on them. And at the bottom of the hour you're allowed to play CDs with a, with a red sticker on them. And I remember just looking at him going, why am I here, dude? Like, what is the, what is the reason for me to be here? Uh, and I was really kind of bummed out by it. And luckily I didn't choose that career because with Nabster and then everything up to Spotify, who, you know, who the hell listens to the radio these days? Uh, and so I happened to be taking a film theory course. And uh, before that, I loved movies like anybody would, but this is at a different time period. This is pre-YouTube. Mm-hmm. P- people really weren't watching behind the scenes videos. So you really weren't thinking average joe person wasn't thinking about how movies were made you just watch them they were really cool and you'd get lost in them you know and i took this film course and i remember it was pretty basic sort of film course movies we watched citizen kane we watched blade runner um and i remember the professor just pointing out certain details going like there is a guy who is responsible for the lighting i'm like whoa wait there's lighting and then it was it's this weird sort of innocent awakening that i had where it's like oh my god someone picks up the clothes and someone and who runs this whole thing um i remember thinking that it took the elements of everything i love the elements of music and exposing people to sound and getting emotional reactions out of people for that and elements of illustration and design. Um, and I was like, I got to fucking do this. And I went and talked at the time, I went and talked to the person at that college. And I said, I want to sign up for a film course. It was a little bit different then. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, you have to take all these other courses. You got to take uh, all the courses required for the school to keep its accreditation. And, you know, it'll be two or three years before you even pick up a camera. Right. And I, I remember looking at him going, why am I here? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to pay for this. And I, I left. And I went to work for a public access TV station for a year, saved up all my money, and uh, went to New York Film Academy in New York City for about a half year and was trained on how to direct, quote unquote, how to direct. Um, but more than anything, I learned how to produce short films because at that time in that core structure we were making three short films per person in a group of four people right so it was like very intimate so i ended up shooting like you know whatever the math is on that i ended up shooting like nine movies um and producing in a city that i had no family or contacts in in new york you know we would run casting sessions in like a barnes and noble coffee shop you know like really trying to figure out how to make the most of it. Like how do you convince someone to let you as a kid shoot in an apartment with no money? Right. Um, and so that that experience was really great for me to figure out how to produce. Um, and then after that, I came home back to Boston. I, I had a choice. A bunch of my buddies were getting an apartment in New York and they said, hey, do you want to stay with us? And do you want to try to make it here? 
And I remember thinking to myself, eh, if I could do really great things in this city without any connections, imagine what I could do back in a city that I have connections, I have access to things. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to Boston because I live in Boston. I'm going to go back to Boston and uh, see if I can do it there. And came back uh, at the time, still the Yellow Pages. <laughs> Ended up picking up the Yellow Pages, flipping through it, looking for any kind of local producer, found a guy that did corporate videos and went to work for him. And in the beginning, it was labeling VHS tapes. And fast forward about two, three months, I was setting up lights and helping him do interviews. Nice. Um, that's kind of how I started. Awesome. You know, you mentioned how you used to love comic books and music, and I guess that's kind of where it's, your career stemmed from. Um, yep. How does that passion transcend into the work that you're doing today? Oh, the passion for those things? Mm -hmm. Oh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whether, um, you know, writing movies and, and putting together ideas, I'm always thinking back at, basically those stories that I used to love as a kid. And I still read comics these days. So um, like even down to photography, because I've had a career as a, uh, a still photographer as well. I actually right. just was paid yesterday to do that. Um, posing and body positioning and how people are, are, are blocked, basically. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff, if you look at my work, and you pause it on stuff, you can reference comic book artists. You can actually see the work of Jim Lee. You can see uh, some of the old coloring work that I grew up on and reading comic books in the 90s as a kid. Um, so really that affects it hugely. And then I, for quite some time, had a career as a music video director. So I got into making music videos for like a lot of hardcore um heavy metal acts and then uh, hip-hop acts. Um, and I've worked with B.B. King. Like, I've, I've worked with some really cool, amazing people. And uh, my love of music and rhythm uh, really helped me with that. Um, and then that still plays with editing and working with composers and creating an emotional score. So that core... That core is always going to be there. I mean, if you if you tear this guy down and you find the foundation, you'll find like a pile of wrinkled up comic books and a few cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, your style reflects across all the medias that you use, you know, feature films, music videos, TV commercials and photography. What do you find is a more challenging part of it? And what is your favorite style of it? What do you mean? Be more specific. Like... Out of all of those, like with still photography or like blocking the music videos and stuff like that, which parts of it do you enjoy doing the most and which parts do you find more challenging? Uh, it depends. I, I think part of the reason why I have this show is because it's about understanding that there are so many steps to any of these projects. And I'm sure after you did 13 weeks on mm -hmm. your project, you understand that there, there are just... It's not like one thing. It's not like you go, I'm going to make a movie. And you go and you grab your director's hat and you stick it on and you're like, I'm doing all the director stuff. You know, it's like if you decide that you're going to do any of these things, it's like, I'm going to make a movie. So today I need to put on my producing hat, my location scouting hat, my casting hat, my editing hat, my sketching hat, like all these different things that you're constantly sw like switching through. Right. And 
the hope is always the further you get in this business, the less hats that you have to wear and the more people that you can work with. But the truth of the matter is you're, you're wearing a shitload of hats still. <laughs> like, and, and the way that the industry currently works, they're scraping down budgets. And so you're, you're doing a, a hell of a lot just to get it going. So I, I have a lot of favorite moments. I think that in the beginning, coming up with an idea and being inspired by an idea is wonderful. It can be miserable. But once you get over that hump and you, you find something that starts that flame and that, that torch that is literally going to have to stay lit for on like a feature film for five, six, seven years. Yeah. So you're basically trying to light that flame. And then I love the conceptual stage because at that point when you sit down and you start to storyboard and you start to come up with ideas and pull references and start to create lookbooks, there isn't any restrictions. The only restrictions are your imagination. Um, and you know that right after you're done doing this, the heartbreaking next step is facing reality and mm -hmm. figuring out what you can do. But that isn't a depressing step. That's a really inspiring step as well because a lot of really great things come from that. Um, yeah, have you seen, I talk about it on the show a lot, have you seen Mandy yet, that Nicolas Cage horror movie that just came out? No, I haven't seen it yet. Great movie. And I just read, uh, read an interview with the guys that made it, the producers and the team. And no spoilers, but when you watch the movie, initially Nicolas Cage's character was supposed to fight 150 bikers. Like he was supposed to like slaughter his way through 150 men. Um, and the producers had to break the reality to him and say, look, we're not going to be able to afford 150 people. And so Panos, uh, who's the director, amazing director, basically took that information, went back into his little creative cave and came back with something much better much better and it's it's actually better than if there was 150 people he fights and i'm not going to give it away you got to watch the movie um but the result of ha facing that reality and then having the the humble awareness that you have to get over your idea and then try to find a way to distill it and create something new um and those are really exciting moments when you're confronted with that stuff um, so the prep and the the creation of a film is really cool. Um, and then when you actually finally get to the point when you can start shooting the film, it becomes, I almost feel like you join the circus. Yeah. You, you, you literally, whether it's just you and somebody else, or even if it's just you. And, and from a documentary standpoint, I've done a lot of docs over the years. I've shot for Harvard University. Uh, I've shot over 50, 60 docs. And we've done everything for from stem cell research technology to like brain pattern and like uh, uh, string theory and all this really wild stuff. And the thing that I love about documentaries, um, even though I don't consider myself a documentarian, but the thing I love about that work is that people will open their doors to their entire universe for you. So like yeah. if, if you get someone to agree to do the piece, it's like you get to walk into these these businesses go through the back door and see how it's all put together for real. See how it's all put together. Um, you know, you get full access into rooms and places that no one's ever been before. I could drive you around Boston and point out I've been in almost every building in the, in the town of Cambridge and almost down to, I think I've been in almost every building in the city at this point. 
It's crazy. It's like, that is a lot of fun. That's like kind of the best part of documentary work. And that's in the production of it. And that's in the scouting of it. And you get to meet these people, you get to meet them in the world, and then you have to earn their trust. Right. Um, but docs are a little weird with that because then you also have to be truthful about mm-hmm. it too. So it's this weird, delicate balance. Um, so production, I think, is a lot of fun. And if you're talking about the feature film world or even the narrative world, the short film narrative world, um, it's about joining a carny circus. And you you go and you find your paintbrushes, which are human beings. You find these people that will do all the things that you need to do. And if you're smart, you become inspired by them. Um, and then you guys go to war together. And it's a lot of fun. So production's a blast. Uh, and then the third step, not the final step, but the third step is post-production. And that's when you get over the shoot, you get over the pre-production, you get over any sort of ideas or anything that you were doing on set and you literally sit down and you stare at a bin full of clips <laughs> and there you build the movie. Right. So there you actually take everything that you've done and it you rewrite the movie all over again in, uh, in the edit process. So uh, it's a long answer to a short question, but uh, there's a lot to be happy with when you're making a movie a lot of little steps to fall in love with along the way yeah and you know you mentioned the documentary part of it how somebody pretty much lets you into their whole life and I find it really interesting on how people take that story and they have to portray it in a certain way and it's different for everybody and every director and producer has a different style with it and it's really interesting to see how one life can be told in so many different stories yeah, and it's a tough thing because documentaries have morphed a bit. Mm-hmm. I, I like it's a, you sort of run into sort of like an ethical thing with docs. So honestly, a true documentary is always a tough thing to make because you don't want to be manipulating. But just you being there, you being there with a camera is manipulating whatever it is that you're covering. Mm-hmm. Because if you're trying to get an actual, so like I'd shot a doc for one of the directors, one of the few directors that I still shoot for, uh, this uh, guy named Rudy Hippolyte. And uh, we just did, uh, years ago, we did a documentary on inner city gangs. And in Boston, there's like over 125 or 121 gangs in the city. Um, and we had to go out and shoot these guys in their natural habitat, basically. Um, and they're always concerned. A lot of the violence that happens in the city is gang on gang violence. It isn't necessarily gangs going out after people. Um, and so a big thing that happens are drive-bys. And, and, and these guys don't get together in one spot naturally because then they know where they are and they, they can all be wiped out. And that was a huge concern for us because we would have to get these dudes together to interview them and talk to them about stuff. But uh, they were incredibly nervous. And then I had to be nervous about my crew. Right. Because, uh, you know, I sure as hell don't want to get shot for a movie. Uh, And so it changed the way we shot the movie. And I ended up shooting the movie with very long lenses. Mm -hmm. So that way we didn't have to be up on top of the guys. We can be very far away from them uh, for safety reasons, A. And B, also because they reacted differently when the cameras weren't in sight. Right. 
And so then we could start to get real stuff. So documentaries is a tricky thing. And and now we have these things, they call them like narrative docs and, and like mm-hmm. dr- dramatic docs and like doc series and reality docs and all this. They break it down into different genres. And a lot of the stuff that we watch is all, eh, it's kind of fake shit. You know, like I love... Uh, Chef's Table, but Chef's Table is not necessarily a doc, in my opinion. Chef's Table is more of a... Uh, it's like an, I think it's like an artsy doc. Yeah, it's like, yeah. An, it's like an emotional promo piece. Yeah, kind of. You know, because most of those guys that they cover, or like most of those chefs, guys, girls, whoever, that they cover on that show, they all have agents, they're all repped, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're chefs that are running through all the other shows and all the other stuff, like they've become entertainers at that point. Um, and it's always funny to me whenever you watch an episode of Chef's Table, then you're like, oh, that guy's going to be on Mind of a Chef and that guy might be on Anthony or would have been right. on Anthony Bourdain's yeah. show um, because it's it's a form of entertainment at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just calling things like... I don't know if you remember, but back when they were doing uh, the real world and road rules and all that shit back up for MTV, and they started to create these reality TV shows, those were all based on a program that was on uh, PBS in the 70s called The Loud Family. Okay. And it was uh, basically about this family, and they, they put a camera crew in, and the camera crew was trying to be as inintrusive as possible covering a family and the development of a family. Um, it's an interesting th- piece. You should check it out. Okay. Uh, it's interesting to go back and look at the origins of documentary and see how it was made and how it's done. Um, and then how it's changed now because you have so many outlets like Netflix or Am- Amazon, all these places that are desperate for content, you know, to yeah. keep their subscribers. And so, but they also want to make content that is uh, entertaining. Right. And like you never see hidden camera type of documentaries anymore. Yeah. They want to like add that narrative to it to make it more interesting, I guess. But I feel like true documentary has more like hidden cameras put in there so that you see people's natural reactions and it's not just acting. Yeah. I mean, and also I think it's something that can still be done in a modern day because Mm -hmm. uh, people are so used to fucking cell phones being all over the place and people are so used to people taking pictures with their cell phones and doing all that stuff. And you could almost do a real hidden cinema verte style documentary on a fucking cell phone. Yeah. And, and actually get true, honest stuff with it, which is, I mean, you have to deal with the sound and how you're going to deal with the sound, but there's, there's technical ways to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, I, somehow I got off on a tirade about docs. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So what are you currently working on today? Today? Today I'm working on uh, recovering from a few too many beers after a long shoot yesterday. <laughs> um, December's a weird period. I talk about this in the intro for this episode. December is a strange period because uh, it's winding down for the year. Mm-hmm. So if you... I tend to do a lot of commercials and stuff to pay the bills. That's the truth of it. So the film stuff, it takes years and years and years before you get paid. Uh, and so you have to figure out a way to make income. And uh, in, at one point it was doing music videos, but then the music industry kind of tanked. And the first people to go are like the labels and 
like the career of a music video director kind of kind of gone at this point. Most music video directors are uh, <laughs> I, I like to say a lot of the new music video directors and I'll probably get shit for this are like trust fund kids <laughs> that are like my dad bought me a camera and look what I'm doing. I'm hanging out with this musician and I'm not getting paid, but who cares? You know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, come on. Oh, you're supposed to get paid for that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, music videos I was doing for a while with more money and then now it's commercial work, but the commercial business is having a lot of trouble these days. Um, but this week I was uh, helping out a few producers. Yesterday I did some photography on a shoot. Um which was interesting. They do this new thing now um, where they like to try to combine a photo shoot with a video shoot because it's like, well, we have everybody there. It'll be easy. And it's so easy to shoot photos these days. I have a nephew that has a fucking cell phone that can do amazing stuff, you know. <clears throat> and uh, what ends up happening is, is you're crammed in on that day and you're attempting to share talent and you're attempting to share hair and makeup. Right. Uh, and it ends up becoming kind of a crazy nightmare of a thing, but you know, you do what you got to do to make a little bit of loot and you try to learn a thing or two while you're doing yeah. it. Um, so that's kind of what I was doing. And then for the fun shit, I have been uh, <clears throat> pitching for the features. So I have uh, who's there, which we finished, which is a proof of concept. And this mm -hmm. is, uh, we're currently talking to a few people about making that. And so, I really That's can't. Exciting. Yeah, I really can't give specifics away on the show, but that. Okay. And then 12 kilometers is being produced by a very awesome company. Um, and uh, we're prepping that. We're trying to get uh, talent. We have a few, we have one guy in particular that we're trying to get right now. Uh, <clears throat> and then if that happens, then stuff starts to move. But it's a. A very long process of ups and downs where it's like, wow, this guy's interested. Really cool. And then two or three, four weeks go by and nothing happens. And then, oh, wow, there's some people that might want to pay for it. Really cool. And then two, three, four, five weeks go by. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so in the interim, I try to stay busy with these smaller projects that don't require a lot of commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you mentioned like the 12 kilometers and who's there. I watched the trailers for those. They're like beautiful looking. They're visually stunning. And like the typography that you have for it, honest, I find that most people don't look at typography or they don't really care about it. And it's like black on white credits and it's just stereotypical font with it. I think they match like so perfectly with each tone that you have for them. Thanks. What was like your inspiration for how you made those? <clears throat> well, uh, so 12KM, I did the most of the, I designed the typography for both those. Yes, I did. Uh, I was actually looking for someone to do it, but uh, it was one of those, one of those things that I had already, <laughs> you're trying to manage as many things as possible. Like I got amazing poster artists and I got all these great people. Um, and uh, it was tough for me to find someone to do the typography. So I have train myself Photoshop and I've been using that uh, oh god for like over 15 years I know I'm supposed to do stuff in Illustrator but I fucking hate Illustrator so really oh uh, it's a it's a whole different thing <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just a whole different thing and I I was I grew up as a Photoshop dude and so okay so like making the transition to Illustrator it's just like oh, your interface is similar but it has nothing to do with each other and uh, yeah. 
Um, so I designed the uh, 12 cam thing with sort of a Russian sort of brutalist theme, like chunky letters. Uh, I love colors. I love like stark colors. So like uh, the red worked really well. Um, and uh, I ended up, you know, shrinking it down to 12 cam, which I like. Uh, and so that was a tough one because I, I was waiting for some people. I had talked to a few people to do some treatments on the idea and everything that people were coming up with were just too modern. And I was like, yeah, it's got to be old school, big lettering. Like, yeah. yeah. It's it's heavy. It's got to feel like a heavy piece of machinery. So that's kind of what we did for that. And then for who's there, um, honestly, Will Simmons, who wrote the script, uh, had, I think he found some hand-drawn font and just did some like a font title on the script okay. uh, and I had seen that and I was like oh cool man all right that's the vibe we're going for is that that's cool and then uh I sat down I don't know if you saw I had a video on my Instagram I sat down and was like I'm gonna draw out the title for this but I'm gonna do it old school and I'm gonna do it uh with uh a pen and ink and then, yeah I saw that video yeah, it was fun. It was like a frustrating day. <laughs> I bet. But it was fun. I, like I ended up, I think the final technique, because I, I, I had bought a bunch of different brushes and I bought a bunch of different pens and I was uh, doing uh, white ink on black paper, uh, mm -hmm. which I thought was fun. Um, but the, the brushes and shit were just too clean. And I ended up just taking yeah. a, a paper cup, no, a plastic cup, and I cut out my own little triangle out of plastic and i ended up drawing with that and that's how we came up with the who's there logo cool yeah it's things like that i guess students i see are more focused on like the grade and okay i have to get this this and this done but like looking at the real world you can really be creative with that stuff so it's it's interesting to see that people do that and i i wish more students would do that too um, well, what happens, I think what happens is that when you're a student, you have, you have shit you got to do. So you're like, all right, I got to show up to class. I got to do this test. Cause if I don't do this thing, I'm going to fail, you know? And then you're sort of looking at it going, all right. And then I spent this kind of money on it. So if I don't go through these steps, then I'm going to fail and I'm going to waste my money. Uh, it's a little bit different when you're not in school and when you don't have that regiment you don't have those steps that you need to do in order to succeed Gr granted you're like at some point you're like i gotta make money you know what i mean and that becomes yeah. like a real driving factor on how you approach the business but you have to come up with your own inspired regiment for yourself creatively and uh, i like to open that up to multiple mediums for instance, you know, drawing it with uh, old school with like ink and paper, because at that right. point it became like a crafts crafts day for me where I'm like, oh, I could have totally done that with my Cintiq on uh, in Photoshop and yeah. come up with something. But the art of like going to the store and like going through stuff and smelling the papers and grabbing like the different materials and then just sort of sitting down and having the ink all over your fingers and like having the ink on your on your pants and your clothes and and just struggling and 
And the one thing that I think is really great about doing it, quote unquote, analog like that, is that you find these really beautiful imperfections that yeah. if I was doing that digitally, I would be meticulously creating beautiful imperfections. So it's, right. it's just a, a, a lot more fun to do it that way. I think this is a good time to stop and uh, talk about the sponsors for our show. Now, is it a little ironic that I have to stop and talk about sponsors after I spent the entire intro of the show dogging uh, filmmakers for selling you things? Here's the deal. Uh, any sponsors that I have on this show that I promote um, are people that I either work with or that I use or utilize. Anything that I tell you about I'm not telling you need to be a great filmmaker. And my sponsors will probably get on my ass about this. I'm not saying that you need to own any of this. I don't think you need to have any of this stuff. Um, what I'm doing is just telling you what I use. That's it. And I get questions from listeners a lot. I'm like, what kind of gear do you use? What do you edit on? What do you have? These are the companies that I use. And I'm lucky enough to have them as sponsors on the show. Now, I don't make a dime on the show. Let's be real about it. Uh, most of the money that comes in from sponsors goes to actually make the program itself. Pay for the overhead costs, pay for all that. Um, and as you know, I don't charge you for the show. So I got to be able to do it one way or another. Um, and if I'm going to promote companies, if I'm going to promote products, uh, I'm going to promote the dudes that support me and that uh, do a really good job with their products and stuff that I like and use. So take all that into consideration as I lead into the sponsor reads for this episode. First up, my good buddies, long-standing supporters, um, Puget Systems. Uh, if you are in the market for an edit system and you're looking for something different, if you're looking for something uh, more powerful than an Apple, if you're looking for something more affordable, if you want a machine that can be upgraded and something that you're going to be cutting on five years from now, um, I would highly suggest looking into building yourself a PC. Uh, the rules are changing. Uh, we're not slaves to brands anymore to be uh, filmmakers and to get the best. Uh, and I just heard this week that the last thing that was the difference between a an Apple computer and a PC computer, the ability to actually make ProRes files, you can now do in Premiere on a PC, guys. So there is nothing else holding you back. Um, and if that's the case, you can go out and build your own PC. But I would highly suggest you go with someone like Puget Systems. I went with these guys because they actually benchmark test all the gear and they post about it. I've been posting about it on our pod on our podcast Instagram uh, where they just benchmark tested like a bunch of different graphics cards and stuff that you think would be faster isn't. Um, and if you're going to build your own system, you really can't afford to benchmark test all this different stuff. So check out Puget Systems. These guys test the gear. They will build you a uh, system specific to the software you use. So you can actually go onto their website and say, hey, I'm an After Effects guy. What do you suggest? Um, and they have a couple of uh, starting packages um, that they can then customize for your needs. Uh, 
I have cut all of my recent movies and commercials, excuse me, and products on a Puget System edit system. Uh, so go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. And here's what I love about these guys. They love artists. Uh, they're a huge sponsor for the uh, Who's There film. Uh, I couldn't have made that movie without their help. And not only did they help me financially with that film, but they also came to set with an onset edit system. So we were able to cut while we were doing stuff. Um, it's a, a really great relationship. Uh, and they're a great company, a reputable company, but they're not massive like Apple. So they're very easy to reach out and talk to. And I know for a fact, I know all the guys that work there. I know that they love talking to creators. So definitely reach out to Puget Systems. PugetSystems.com, I'll put a link below, a special link. But if you use it, uh, they'll know that I sent you um, and uh, enjoy it. Next up, my buddies over at Rule Boston Camera. If you are a freelance filmmaker, even a photographer, uh, the worry is that you can't keep up with the equipment. You can't keep up with the newest gear. And if you got clients, you know that those guys like to flip through trade magazines and they get all hot and heavy for the latest piece of equipment. And you'll buy yourself uh, whatever it is and by before you can even pay the damn thing off, they're on to the next big thing. And manufacturers are pumping out gear faster than we can keep up with. The new technical standards are changing so radically, so quickly. Um, I myself have given up on trying to keep up with that stuff and buying this gear. And I made sure to set out and make a really good relationship with the best rental company in my town. And I highly suggest you do so. There's a lot of young filmmakers that are just afraid to do it. They're like, oh, how does the insurance work? And I need to have a big client or I need to have a lot of money to go to a rental house. Not true. Uh, I know for a fact that the guys at Rule Boston Camera love independent filmmakers. Um, they can very easily set you up uh, with a rental uh, account. Um, they have amazing training seminars. You can actually go in there and learn how to use this big equipment. If it's in stock, they'll teach you how to use like an Airy Mini. You can just go in there and mess around with FS7s. You can play around with anamorphics. Um, it's a great place to do that. And it's a lot uh, more intimate than doing sort of an online rental company. And the other thing that's really great about going with your local rental house, especially if they're local to where you're shooting, is if, if you have a problem with the gear and you're on location, and we all know this, gear's supposed to work, right? It always is. Um, if you're on location and it doesn't work, you can call these guys up and they will drive out a replacement to you. So imagine that sense of security that you can give your clients by going with a local rental company. That's why I highly suggest Rule. And also, checkout days. <laughs> like you can actually go in there and check out the gear and test the gear and build the packages and put it all together. Camera checkout days are a thing that a lot of people don't do anymore. I don't know why. Uh, you rent the stuff online and then you just sort of get it. And then if it doesn't work, you're screwed. Uh, don't do it, guys. Go to a local rental house, and if you're in the New England area, the best one is Rule Boston Camera. So go to rulebostoncamera.com. I think it's rule.com. Uh, check them out. So let's get right back into the conversation with Taylor. Thanks for listening. Yeah, do you have like any other advice for current students or people who are just getting into the industry now? Uh, it depends. Like, um, 
general advice? Hmm. I would say without <laughs> I, I I I just recorded an intro that may be a downer. So I don't want to be a downer about it. But I would say that be aware that the industry is a brutal place right now. Like it's a yeah. a dog eat dog cutthroat underbid underbid game where mm-hmm. people are struggling to get work um and it's it's brutal and i you know i'll talk to you about this i, I talk about it in the intro one thing i've been noticing a lot lately are all these ads whether it's on facebook or whether it's on instagram of folks going are selling seminars or tricks on how to get clients and how to be a real filmmaker and this, yeah. you know, and masterclass and blah, 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 and all this, this stuff. And it's all bullshit. Like I, I, my advice to you would be, uh, work. And it sounds like you work really hard. If you spent 13 weeks working on this project and if you're inspired by this experimental stuff, mm-hmm. then, then, I would say go down that path because a lot of what's being made right now is formulaic, mm-hmm. very formulaic. And you should learn what the formula is because then you can use it. Um, but go down this experimental path because you're going to find tricks and, and, and techniques that you will then be able to roll into what it is that you want to do. You'll be able to understand what the formula is to make an entertaining documentary, but then you're just going to go, hey, look, when I was doing weird shit, I found this thing that would be really cool. Like a good example of this is with 12 cam. All of the special effects in 12 cam were shot practically. So they were all shot in camera. There was no CG. And I went and I hung out with a microbiologist and we shot all of those effects uh, through high-powered microscopes, created uh, chemical reactions and filmed those chemical reactions. That's awesome. Super cool shit. And in that process, we created beautiful imagery that big Hollywood people are like, oh my God, this is CGI. And you're like, no, it's not. This is actually (laughs) shot in someone's basement for like $500. You know what I mean? So... That playing around with stuff in real life is a lot of fun. And I think that a lot of this shit like filter packs and apps and all this crap that's being sold to us right now is somebody actually either being on location or being on a shoot and figuring out a trick for something and then figuring out a way to monetize it. And sort of live the, you know, Silicon Valley.com, how do I make as much loot quickly as possible life? Right. And create like an app. Like this Photoshop look apps. Like we were just doing a massive Photoshop job on this big photo shoot we did. And I'm trying to create a basic look. And there hits a point when you're on a deadline, you're like, ah, I gotta find an easier way to do this. I can build these all from scratch, but I gotta find an easier way to do this crap. And so you end up dug, digging through the internet and you're looking for like look apps, basically like LUTs, but for Photoshop images. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, ah, oh, some of these look good. And then you start to break it down. And this guy's like, hey, I sell you this plugin for Photoshop that'll make all your images look amazing. And then you look at the, the before and after stuff. And one of them, it's like you catch them red handed where it's like before there's a tree in the shot, after there isn't a tree in a shot. It's like... Dude, that app didn't take out the tree. You yeah. you literally painted out that tree. You literally changed all these these little details to make it look really good. And then when you actually download 
the pack. It's just like a fucking color wash that goes right. over the stuff that doesn't have any relevance to what your work is. And they sell these things as if they're the tools and the, and the answer to your lack of work and your lack of creativity. But the truth is real life shit, like you actually going out and playing with stuff mm-hmm. and like playing around with experimental photography is going to help create the style that you're known for. Yeah. And I mean, everybody has responsibilities and jobs that they have to do, but I've found, especially in the past couple of weeks that going out and experimenting with this stuff has definitely changed the way that I see my filmmaking for the future. And I'm very glad that I was able to work on things like this and I'll take it with me for the rest of my career and definitely change my style, especially with documentary and whatever I work on in the future. And I definitely encourage more people to do that too. Yeah. I think it's the way to go. And now, so you are, you're training to be a cinematographer or what, like what's your ultimate goal? Is it going to be directing shows like this or do you want to be a shooter? Like, what do you want to do? So it's, I have a very hard time answering that question because over the past couple semesters at school, I've been pretty much doing everything, which in one respect is nice because I get a feel for everything. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not crafted in one thing yet, but now like I'm starting to focus in on cinematography and editing. And I really like both because I know like Avid and Premiere and stuff, but I also love working with the camera because it's so artistic and working with like lighting and colors and stuff is also nice. So I'm in between a couple things right now. So I'm not a hundred percent sure yet, but I'll you figure it out someday. <laughs> you, you don't need to be. And it's, it's nice that you're doing both of those. Cause if you end up becoming a cinematographer and you have a, a really good understanding of the edit, mm-hmm. um, when you're, when you're covering things and you're, and you're, and you're gathering your, your coverage for a scene, you'll know what is needed for the edit. There's a lot of cinematographers that come up through the visual side only. Mm-hmm. And so they're very either technically focused on how to, to capture a good image or they're lost in the emotion of lighting and um, they don't give a shit about post. Right. And what ends up happening as a director that works with those folks is that they become so focused. So you're, you're setting up a scene and they're taking 20, 30 minutes to get rid of the specular highlights on the chrome case in the background. And you're sitting there going, I am losing two or three shots of coverage because uh, you're just going to tweak some shit that's going to be on the screen for about three seconds and the audience isn't going to pay attention to. You need to get focused on the story and on the longer process here. Um, so it's good that you're loving at it because it will make you a better cinematographer if you do. Yeah. And I notice when I go out and shoot, it's like, I am envisioning what edits are going to be in my mind and being able to work with an editor and sit with him and edit with him. It's like, I have that picture in my mind already. So having both sides definitely helps me, um, in both areas. So good. Very good. And then, uh, how much. How are you uh, learning about lighting? They teach you stuff at the school or? Yeah, we have a class. It's called advanced cinematography that focuses on on lighting. So we have like advanced cinematography and advanced camera. And in the camera class, you work work on like focus pulling and working with like the airy cameras and stuff. Um, And then in advanced cinematography, you work on blocking and different artistic shots, um, especially with lighting. So we use like Kino and like different hive lights and 
dynamic stuff with that. So we play around with lighting in that class. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything that I've learned has been in the classes. Um, it's really nice that, you know, most colleges you have to take a math and a science and an English and stuff like that. And you don't get to touch cameras until like your second year. But at RIT, I started working with cameras like my first semester, my first year. So it's That's nice good. that we've been able to do that. Yeah. That's great. And so when they teach you stuff with lighting, is it, do they get into the nitty gritty or is it like, here's how you set up a, a, an actual unit and they show you how the unit goes? Do they, do they teach you about lighting physics? Do they teach you about, um, do they teach you how to, to make someone look good? I guess it's the million dollar question or yeah. is it? So it, it's hard to cram everything into like 14 weeks pretty much. Um, so the class pretty much meets like once or twice a week. And then you have, like, you learn about color temperature and stuff like that. So you have a little bit of background with it, but most of the time it's getting that hands-on work um, in like a lab and you have uh, stagers and blockers and then you kind of play around with the lighting and the professor is like, okay, this is a feel that I want for next week, have something shot like that. And he lets you play around with your creativity and what you think is nice with like backlighting and key lighting and stuff. So it's up for a lot of interpretation on what you want to do too. Okay. And I only asked that because I found, and this is advice that I would give you. I found that I learn more with lighting by physically going and working with people that light. And it, you may want to consider doing this, you know, whatever you want to do. But uh, I would definitely suggest either PAing or going and working for a film that has a pro cinematographer. And here's why I say, um, a lot of the dudes that I work with are the people that I've worked with in the past that are gaffers mm-hmm. or uh, lighting technicians uh, work here in Boston. And Boston has like a great tax incentive. So our industry is pretty intense right now. Like they, we shoot, I mean, obviously The Departed and all those movies came through here, but now everything comes through here. Castle Rock is shot here. Like they're, most of the equipment rental houses are bare right now and mm. all of the people that join the union are in work. So there's five or six different features being shot in town and multiple TV shows being shot okay. here. And uh, uh, these guys get to go work for the greats. So like a buddy of mine uh, who's a gaffer who used to shoot uh, work on all my stuff went and worked for Robert Richardson the uh, famous cinematographer that does like all of Quentin Tarantino stuff. So mm-hmm. he did like Inglorious Bastards, all those things. And if you look at Richardson's stuff in Tarantino movies specifically, he has a very cool way of doing the sort of overhead spotlighty backlight thing that he does. And his fill light or his key light on his subjects is so beautifully soft and so beautifully hazed out. Um, and when you look at it from an outside perspective, sort of an analytical perspective, you're like, okay, so he probably took, I don't know, like a Keenum flow or softbox or maybe a light with a chimera on it mm-hmm. and, and put that in front of her. And then maybe took some other hot light source and just put it behind her. But being on set, you find out that he actually takes what is called the nine light, which are those big giant units that have tiny little 650 watt bulbs in them. And he takes this giant light and he faces it away from the actress. And he bounces this light through 
a bounce board that is then bounced through two or three different frames of diffusion to create to create that look and each of those frames of diffusion may have it may be like a muslin or maybe maybe he's bouncing off a warm muslin maybe he's going through different frosts but he goes through this stuff to actually start to spread that light and one thing that i learned uh on sets and through experience and through working with these guys who would work for the greats and learn these tricks and techniques and come and work with me which is cool because it's like an education from somebody else um is that light great cinema lighting isn't about turning on lights and putting them at people great cinema lighting is about cutting away light mm-hmm. it's about taking away light it's about how that light is bounced on you and if you look at how light affects people in real life like if you're sitting around and you're talking in your living room and there's light coming in from the outside and you're like okay so it's sunlight coming in from the outside hitting that person's face so if i was going to recreate that maybe i'll just take like an hmi because it's color balanced to the sun and i'll just stick it outside that window and i'll blast it through but if you examine how that light's working what's happening is the sun is reflecting off the white house across the way and being diffused by that white house and then bouncing into that person and then going through all these different levels of diffusion along the way and that's how you get that light to sort of spread across the skin the right way. And I bring this up because I know that you're a fan of uh, Chef's Table. Mm-hmm. And Chef's Table is all about cinema lighting. That show is all about it. Yeah. And it's really these really cool, subtle little details that I think uh, you, would, you would learn a lot from if you ended up going and either PAing for a light crew or going and working on a movie for like two or three weeks and you get paid for that shit you get like 200 bucks a day or something yeah Um, but there's a lot of really cool stuff to be learned through that stuff that you can then take those tricks and techniques and be steps ahead of anybody in your class because you're watching how the artists create this stuff because ultimately whenever i see someone teaching a class in a film theory class it's usually someone that watches movies and, and studies movies and goes this is how i think they do it and then they <laughs> then they sit there and they go so they have a light coming from the front and this person has never been on a set they've never actually seen how it's done um and so i would advise that i think it's fantastic that you have a great school and that you have all these really great uh, tools at your disposal, and it's a really good and inspiring motivation for you to get stuff done. But definitely, whenever you get a chance, mm-hmm. go work on some shit. Yeah. Go join the Carney. Go join the the Road Festival with these guys and guys and girls, and just get lost in it uh, because yeah. it's a lot of fucking fun. It's like ridiculous hours. <laughs> you know, be prepared to work fifteen hours straight. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's, there's a great camaraderie. And in that process of doing so, and this is advice I give to any of the students, in that process of doing so, you are going to meet the people that will come and work on your stuff. You're going to meet the sound person or the young guy that wants to be a sound person or the young woman that wants to be a grip or the young person that wants to be a, a, a movie cam operator, mm-hmm. you're going to meet them as PAs that go to work with you. Right. And those are the people 10, 15 years from now that you'll be friends with coming to work on your shit. Right. 
there's definitely a difference between like working on this stuff in class and then going out on an actual set and PAing. And that's definitely something that I want to do in the future. I would highly suggest it. And yeah. the sooner you do it, the better you're going to be because mm -hmm. do it right away. If you have any time to, to do it, if you have like a break and you look around, because where are you? Are you in Connecticut or an island? Uh, neither. <laughs> I'm in New York state right now and I live in New Jersey. Okay. Jesus Christ. So you're right on the New York. You can get, totally get on anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I would do it, man. It will totally change your whole vibe. And you like it. It's really exciting to hear that you're doing experimental stuff. That's cool. Um, balance it with this and I think it'll blow your mind. Yeah, and I'll definitely get on some sets in the near future, definitely. It's it's something that I've been wanting to do. It's just crazy workload with classes and stuff, but I know that it's something that I'll definitely get a lot out of. So cool. We'll do in the future. All right. Um, speaking of the future, what are your goals for the future? What are my goals? Uh well, I want to make a couple of features. I want to get these movies that I've been working on for the past four years finally off the ground. Um, I have what I try to do every year when I start uh, the year, I try to set myself goals. So mm -hmm. I try to give myself a list of stuff that I'm going to accomplish that year. Uh, last year, it was uh, getting representation and getting agents and management. Um, and that happened, which is amazing. Um, and so this year it is making a feature, whether it's the 12 cam feature or if it's who's there, one or the other, whichever one goes first, it's a race. Um, and, uh, that's it really just making a feature. Cause that's going to be a two year commitment at least. Yeah. That's exciting though. It is cool. I'm not going to lie about it. It's a very exciting thing to have two great ideas um, and to have interest, which is amazing. Uh, and I'm very fortunate uh, to be in the position that I'm in where I can pitch these things and I get to meet these people that really believe in the work and really believe in myself as a director, which is great. Because uh, it's always a difficult, the first one's always really fucking hard to get through because people don't want to give you work unless you've done it before. Right. You know, and there aren't a lot of folks out there that are willing to take a chance these days because they don't have to. There's so many options out there. There's so many other people that do it. Um, and so for them, a lot of folks, it's a numbers game. So it's about cutting back any of the variables that will keep you from uh, making billions. <laughs> <laughs> so um it's a difficult thing but it's fun and i'm really fortunate to have the support um from some amazing folks uh so fingers fucking crossed man that it will be a cool thing. <laughs> um and you know we spoke about documentaries changing over the past couple of years um how have you seen the rest of the film industry changing over the past like 10 years well, I mean, the uh, Netflix and Amazon and all these sort of on-demand services have really changed the industry. Um, and it's funny to me. I think the industry is being very much controlled by the manufacturers. So you have Apple and iPhone and, mm -hmm. and streaming devices and the internet service providers and all these guys that are making 
millions off of hardware, making millions off of the stuff. And uh, they need a reason. You need a reason to physically buy it. You need a reason to have a phone. You need, like, whether they're creating apps or whether they're creating a streaming service that goes right to your phone, you need a reason to have the, the super sexy high internet speed shit, you mm-hmm. know, and pay that money for it. So that has been a big focus. And um, theaters and um, like the movie theater experience, I feel like a lot of studios and a lot of theaters got lazy. And they're like, hey, you know, people come to see the fucking movies, so we don't have to really do much about it, you know. And the corporations came in and bought out a lot of the theaters. They stripped the theaters down and made them as cheap as possible and put in really shitty seats and crappy fucking projectors and did all that. Uh, And they hit a point where people were like, why am I going to the movies when I can just see shit on my phone or at home? And I can watch, like, amazing series on TV and stuff. So... That has really changed uh, how the business works and what the focus of the business is. And I love going to the movies to watch a movie. I love it. I love sitting in a room with a bunch of strangers and sharing something with people. And movies just feel different when you're sitting around people you don't know and you're watching them. And it's... We're also very guarded these days as as a species where it's just like us against them and everybody's coming to get us. And we're slowly, slowly locking ourselves away uh, and, and our world is becoming very small. I mean, even though these devices allow us, you and me, to sit here and have a conversation, um, it's still becoming a very small world for folks. And a lot of people don't see beyond five feet in front of them these days. Um, And I, I'm hoping that cinema and and movies will outlast this. And I'm hoping that uh, the audience will find a reason to go to the movies and will find a reason to share things with people in, in person. And there's hope for it. I mean, we talked about Mandy a little bit. I keep talking about this movie, but Mandy just killed it. It was like this little independent film that they released on VOD and in limited run cinemas. And the audience demanded to see it in the theater. And they demanded, even though it came out at the same time in both places, people wouldn't watch it on VOD. They would wait for the theater. And they wrote to the distributor and said, will you please, please, please uh, release this in more theaters? Mm-hmm. And it was crazy. It changed. It changed the way that they're going to do stuff. So there is still hope for it out there. Yeah. And I guess the reason I bring this stuff up is that there's a huge difference between making content for your phone and making content for an audience. Right. And the movies that we inspire me, and the movies that inspire everything that we see right now, Jaws and ET and uh, you know Die Hard, like all these is like great movies were made for a cinema experience and the nostalgia that we're sort of building off of from it is nostalgia that was created from that experience. Um, and so now, you know, I mean, how often do you see something on the Netflix queue and go, that blew my mind and talk to all your friends about it. And then it stays with you even longer than that. It like disappears over the course of a couple of weeks, a couple of months, yeah. you know? So I don't know. I hope that uh, 
that it'll uh, stay that way. And I hope people still go see movies in the theater because I fucking make movies for the theater. I think it's the coolest thing. Yeah, our school actually, they're very big on pushing kids to go to the theaters. Um, We have like the little theater downtown that's like shows student made films also. And we actually just opened up a studio on campus. It's called Magic Spell Studios that has 4K projector. It's like a movie theater pretty much with this huge screen surround sound. And we got to show some of our student films actually this week that we produced over the semester, Mm -hmm. which was pretty awesome to see all of us kind of get together at the end of the semester and sit in the theater all together and just enjoy it instead of just looking at it on our phones. Well, how cool is it when you go from like editing this thing and you're staring at it on a screen or a flat monitor and then you watch it on a big screen, like it changes. Oh yeah. It's very fulfilling to see it at the end and it makes you proud of your work to see it up there actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a whole different thing. Like when I was doing color grading on 12 cam i was really lucky to be able to go uh grade with a really amazing color grading studio in new york um and one of the benefits of it was that we graded in a theater so they actually had the color grading setup set up in a movie theater with a giant screen and then we're working off of that giant screen um, yeah, we just actually in the studio that we got, we have one of the colorist studios that has pretty much that same setup that you're talking about. And we have a whole sound mixing theater with like Dolby Atmos approved stuff. So that's it's rad. nice that we're improving and going that way also at school. That's rad. That's great that your school has those that, those things. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, And like being able to utilize that now while we're in college and being able to say that we've made work like that is it's pretty nice to be able to do. That's fantastic. You're very lucky to have those resources. Very cool. Yeah. So up until today, what are some of your key milestones or achievements that you're really proud of? Key milestones and achievements. Uh, There's a lot. Um, I would say uh, surviving my head injury and taking that... um, that experience in creating 12 cam, that's a big keystone. I think that's that's a big marker in the, my life and my career. I think 12 cam, the short is. Um, and I think that uh, figuring out, before that, I think figuring out that I wanted to be a director and actually starting up my first company was a big part for me. Um, because then you have the conf- like then you can finally do it. You can finally call yourself, hey, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a director, and this is what I do. Um, that was a big moment. Um, and I really think, I mean, actually this year's big moment was getting representation and then being able to stand in a room with the people that make these films that I am so inspired by and have them actually enjoy my work and be interested in what it is that I want to make. Uh, It was a big moment, actually, uh, to actually be in the room with (laughs) the dudes, the people that make these amazing movies, and to have them go, we really like your film. And it's like, holy shit. Like, holy shit. Really? Like, yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah, I just made that back in my town, and sort of like, we love it. It's like, whoa. Okay, cool. All right. That's awesome. How can we work together? (laughs) 
Um, so I think those are the big moments. I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like the things that you're proud of up until today. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of a lot of different things. I mean, filmmaking is a lifestyle. Yeah. And so I pride myself in the way I work with folks. I really enjoy people. I enjoy collaborating with people. Um, I have a great relationship, um, with my girlfriend, Gina, who's a, a fashion photographer. And so we both, um, support each other. Like I just worked on her shoot, um, and she works on my stuff. So I, I'm very proud of my relationship. I'm very proud of, um, the people that, that, that I work with, my crew, my team. Uh, I've worked a long time to build this group of people around me that I trust. Um, and, uh, you can't, and this business is collaborative, man. Like if, if one person could do it, um, there'd be so much more shit out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's such a great thing in that collaboration. Um, and you know, you watch, if you watch 12 cam and you'll, a lot of people are like, Hey, I love that opening shot. I love that steady cam one or through the space. And they give me all the credit for it. And sure, it's, it was my idea to do it, but uh, the Steadicam guy that we got to do that shot, uh, he is an NFL film Steadicam guy. He basically wow. runs along the field for NFL games, and I happened to catch him uh, in a flight between so-and-so and so-and-so, and I got him here in Boston, and I, wow. I literally had him on set for five hours, six hours, um, and he murdered that. And then... Uh, my assistant director, uh, Vlad, he was the one that worked with all the extras and worked out the blocking with all the extras for that shot. Um, and then obviously Kruda, the, the cinematographer, and the way he lit that shot. And, and uh, the three of them are responsible for that shot. And ultimately, I came up with the idea and I went through and I did my initial blocking and figured out where I want the character to land and all that kind of director shit. Um, but I sat back and watched them make it. Um, yeah. And I'm proud of them for that. And I like, like I have a lot of pride in the fact that I know people that are willing to do that. Um, yeah, that's important to have such a strong team that you can trust and have confidence in to work together. Yeah. I mean, because you're dependent upon, you know, like you're dependent upon these people. Right. You know, I, I my makeup artists, like, you know, uh, Brenda Wall, well, she does like, most of my shit and uh i love hanging out with her and uh, i can get so nerdy about how cool film <laughs> film sets are but it's i say i've said this before my job as a director is just sort of go around and check in with people so first thing in the morning when i show up to set i'm the first guy there and then i usually go over and have a little breakfast if breakfast is ready and then i just walk around and i walk around to department to department and it's, it's like being at war and there are all these like little campsites set up. Um, so you go to like the makeup and wardrobe camp and it's usually like really sort of catty and fun in there. You know what I mean? And that's usually where the actors are first thing in the morning and they're kind of like rubbing the crust out of their eyes and like <laughs> looking like shit because they just rolled out of bed. Uh, and they're just in there like, what are we doing today? You know, and you're like, Hey, what's going on? And then, you know, and the wardrobe people sort of walk you through and like, this is the outfit I was thinking for this. And what do you think of that? And you're like, cool, cool. And you're eating and you're like, how was your night last night? Ah, I don't know. And we chatted up and then you move from that room and you go down the hall 
into where the the lighting and the grip department has loaded all their shit and those guys are loading in and they're salty and sore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a bunch of dock workers and you sort of go and you hang out with them and you're just like, how was your night? Did you guys see this? Yeah, super cool. And hey, you know, we were thinking about building this thing over here and they bring it around and you're like, oh, cool. That'll be rad. All right, cool, sweet. And then you go hang out with <laughs> with the art group and the production designer and these poor motherfuckers have been up all night to try to mm-hmm. get the sets ready. So they've been working since until about 4 a.m. And so they're hepped up on coffee and whatever the hell else and they're bouncing off the walls and they're usually covered in dirt and filth because they're moving stuff around and it's just like, well, we built this prop and what do you think of this prop? And you're just like, cool, that's rad, you know? And and then you, the further you walk, the closer you get to the front line. Mm-hmm. And as you get down, the like if you're on location, you get down, you follow the cables, you follow the lights and you get to the front line where there's usually, that's where the DP is. And he's usually walking in uh, sitting on the edge of a dolly with a with a coffee in his hand, waiting, and you're sort of sitting there and you're looking out, and the two it's like two generals that are just sort of looking at the front line and going, "Okay, what are we gonna do today?" You know, yeah, it's cool as fuck. It's really cool. Like when you're actually there and you get to go through all these different places and all these different personalities uh, are the people that make the amazing thing that you're putting together. Yeah, it's it's beautiful to see. I mean, we have like small scales of that, I guess, on campus doing like fiction workshops and stuff. Um, one semester we have like each week you have a different role. So one week you'll be art department. The next week you could be like DP and AC. And then the next week it's director and stuff like that. So That's cool. Yeah, but that's about it for my questions that I have for you. Well, I appreciate you uh, asking me them on the show. Yeah, thank you for letting me ask you questions and take time out of your schedule to let me ask you some stuff. No worries, man. And then, um, you know, we know each other now. So if there's any questions, you ever have anything you want me to look at or you ever have anything that you need advice on, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for being on the show. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. Uh, I really I had a lot of fun talking to Taylor, and uh, it's really cool to hear how driven and inspired she is. She's obviously focused on uh, making her career happen. And uh, I talk a lot of trash on going to uh, a four-year school and paying for that, but it sounds like she's got a sweet deal there. Uh, I'm not plugging that place, but uh, she's got a lot of really good resources, and uh, she's someone that seems to be taking full advantage of that. Um, and like I said, everybody's path is a little different and some people need that sort of thing. Um, is it a necessity? No. If you can't afford to go to something like that, no sweat. You could still make it work. But if you're lucky enough to get those resources, I mean, God, having, uh, the color grading stuff in a theater and having like a a surround sound, uh, mixing room, I can only imagine. I wish I had that stuff readily at my access and available to me. Um, But like I was trying to explain to her, uh, time on set is valuable. And uh, the things that you learn in a classroom are in theory and the technical standard, like technically how you're supposed to do things, 
but there's something to be said about watching someone just take something and do it completely differently. Um, it's inspiring and uh, I think it's a necessity for anybody getting into the business. Uh, so thanks for listening to the show and uh, I'm going to try to bang on a few more of these. We're approaching the holiday season. I'm going to have some dead time. Uh, so I'm going to do a couple more. I am trying to convince uh, both uh, Gina um, to sit down and we'll talk about her experience on her big campaign uh, that we just wrapped up. And then uh, I'm trying to nail down uh, Heather McGrath, who is uh, a little sister to me. Uh, her and I have been uh, working together for years. She's an amazing photographer. And uh, I really want to talk about that business with her. So fingers crossed and I can make all the schedules work before the holidays. Um, but I hope you guys are having a good one so far. Uh, enjoy those Christmas parties. Go to those Christmas parties that you get invited to. Go hang out at those industry parties. Make some friends. Try to get some more work. And uh, like I said in the beginning, I'm always going to be honest with you guys. And sometimes it's the reality can be a little bit of a downer. But take that information. And don't let it uh, uh, dissuade you from, from pushing forward and making this career what it is that you want it to be. But just take those little, those little nuggets of stuff that I'm giving you and see if you can figure out a new way to crack the system, a new way to save everything for us. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, please follow us on Instagram at InLoveWithTheProcessPod. And if you follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram, that is the only way to see 12KM. Uh, if you go there, write me a note, send me a message, or whatever you young kids are calling it these days, <laughs> and uh, tell me your favorite horror movies and uh, ask me to see 12KM. Um, I've been doing that now for the past couple of months, and uh, everybody that watches it goes and writes a review on IMDb, uh, and the reviews have been really fucking great. Um, and I've really enjoyed this sort of personal exchange. Um, there's my phone. I've really enjoyed this personal exchange on uh, uh, interacting with you guys and the movie. So write to me. Head on over to at Mike Petchy at on uh, fucking Instagram. Uh, that's it. I'm rambling. This episode is clocking in at 140. It's a long one. I hope you guys found it interesting. Thanks for listening.